Welcome to the chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 83 of Chalk Talk, brought to you by the Painted Lines. I'm your host, Shane Half. You can follow me on Twitter at halfandhalf underscore TPL. And I'm joined today by the best co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Tough Cover radio show. It is Mark Henry Jr. You can give him a follow on Twitter at MarkHenryJr. underscore. Mark, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Uh, obviously, Eagles 11-1, and big win on Sunday beat down as we were just talking about off air and the fills are out there spending money so you know it's a uh it's a great time to be a philadelphia sports fan and we just won't talk about the sixers or you know that hockey team i thought the sixers were the hockey team <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah they, they really skate around on that ice james harden and joel Embiid. <laughs> all right well let's dive into the week 13 slate of games we're going to lead off as we always do with the eagles matchup the eagles played host to the tennessee titans on sunday and they weren't very good hosts mark they didn't really even give them a chance in this game blow them out 35 to 10 pulled the starters with 10 minutes left in the game Uh, i guess you could call this the ultimate revenge game you know we love the revenge game headlines this was the aj brown revenge game he has eight receptions for 119 yards and two touchdowns And then today, GM John Robinson, the guy that chose to cut off negotiations with A.J. Brown and trade him instead, got fired. So A.J. Brown didn't just get revenge in winning the game. He got the guy that didn't believe in him fired. So you hate to see it. Yeah, I mean, A.J. Brown tweeted out something nice after saying, you know, uh, know, I forget exactly the terminology. I'm sure you have it. Uh, But something about another man's job, and you don't talk about that, but. You know, I think that you can draw a direct correlation between that decision and the firing. There was a rumor um, I saw from a guy, Justin Graver, a a big-time Titans guy. He's a producer on the Around the NFL pod that I reference far too often. Um, And he was saying, or he was tweeting about reports from beat reporters in Tennessee that I guess the owner – didn't know that the GM cut off negotiations and like started negotiating a trade. And she found out about the trade, like when the trade happened, which, <sighs> which feels pretty crazy. And apparently she was a huge fan of AJ Brown's and uh, yeah, pretty crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, I, I saw people were talking about, I, I don't know how this turned into a Titan segment, but I talk, <laughs> I, I, I saw people were talking about how, years back now uh i think the titans went nine and seven and lost in the playoffs with mike malarkey and they and they ended up firing mike malarkey as their head coach and a lot of people really gave the titans a lot of a lot of guff about that because you know he made the playoffs and he was doing a good job and they weren't that good of a team and then they ended up hiring mike rabel who i even though this blowout was standing i think is a top five coach in the nfl and so people were kind of saying you know, this owner stepped in when it was time, or maybe even before it was time to fire their coach, and they went out and found the right coach. Good for them for they sense kind of the tides turning on this regime of the Titans and kind of they sense, you know, a little bit of stagnance and they they fire the GM. I think it's a good call by the Titans. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, that's just you don't survive that move. You don't survive trading a guy that is just lighting the NFL on fire this year who took a very acceptable contract. Like in terms of what wide receivers are getting paid, AJ Brown didn't 
require a big contract in Philadelphia. That was just a jaw-droppingly stupid move for a team that was the one seed last year. They were the one seed in the AFC last year, and maybe they were paper tigers, but I, that that's just mind-blowing. Um, and A.J. Brown, uh, per next-gen next stats, he has 183 yards over expectation on tight window throws this season. <laughs> that's 60 more than the next closest player. Like, he's just been phenomenal this season. So... You know, shout out to John Robinson. I'm glad he gave the Eagles a gift on the way out the door. But I feel like we're burying the lead here. The biggest news from an Eagles standpoint is that Derrick Henry was held to 30 rushing yards in this game. Um, I thought you I, were going to go somewhere else, actually, there. That's interesting. Oh, well, we could also go to special teams, which is where I would assume the other <laughs> it's place. Not, that's, no, it's actually I, – I, I guess I was being a, a little bit basic, but my mind went to Jalen. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, so Jalen Hurts – incredible game i i would say um i'm part way through like cutting up clips to do a i'm gonna do a film review on jalen hurts that'll get out tomorrow hopefully uh i'm not through the whole game yet but i feel pretty confident saying this is the best game jalen hurts has ever played like the i i, I could only come up with so far i've only come up with one play where i think he might have made the wrong decision and it worked out anyways um he's he was making right decisions. The Titans were spinning safeties. They were trying to make things chaotic, and Hurts just played phenomenal. Best game he's had as a pro, in my opinion. Yeah, you could absolutely make that argument. I mean, he he just made no mistakes in this game. He played an incredibly clean, clean game, especially from a passing perspective. And, um, you know, there's probably games that look more impressive on the stat sheet because of the rushing, or maybe they look more impressive on the highlights because of the rushing. But I think there's something to be said about the fact that he didn't have to run in this game. And I hope that this type of game kind of quiets the morons and the idiots on Twitter uh, that you were getting into it with a little bit, talking about last week um, mm -hmm. that we're kind of referring to Jalen Hurts as just an RPO quarterback or just a running quarterback. And, all that nonsense. I mean, I heard someone say it on a national podcast this week and, you know, hearing it from outside of our Sixers bubble is always nice. And they said, like, if you took away Jalen Hurts' rushing, he'd be a top 10 quarterback right now, like the way he's throwing the ball. And that's just, you know, that's incredible to say even from where we were four months ago, let alone from where we were a year ago or two years ago with Jalen Hurts. But you know, coming into this year, we thought he could be a top 10 quarterback, but we thought that that would be absolutely almost entirely because of his rushing and the floor and what that gives you as an offense. But what he's done as a passer and this game specifically, uh, it's nothing short of incredible. I, there was some stat out there. He's the first guy to throw for 350 the week after running for 150, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just uh, its unbelievable stuff. He's really just it's, – it's incredible to have an offense and to watch an offense that can just – you know, they don't have to come in with a set plan at this point. They can come in with an idea of what the defense is going to throw at them for sure, but you can pretty much game plan and decide what you're going to do after you watch what the defense does against you because if they're going to force Jalen to throw – that's fine. We have A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, and soon Dallas Goddard. If they're going to you know, forget the quarterbacks are allowed to run the football like the Green Bay Packers seems to, then Jalen's going to run for 150 yards, and there's it's going to be tough to beat you when that happens. 
and you know he can always do a mix of the two like he did against indy or other games so uh there is just so many ways that this offense can beat you and it becomes we talked about it last week it just becomes a numbers game for the defense yeah uh, so this leads me into the, the eagles are the most complete offense in the nfl um so i did a little bit of a deep dive this week and in terms of epa per play I said there's eight elite offenses, which I defined as above .07 EPA per play. And then if you split that out into their dropback EPA and their rush EPA, like the Eagles offense is sixth in dropback EPA and they're first in rush EPA. They're one of only eight teams with a positive rushing EPA. Like they can beat you however they want to. If you look at the difference, like it's real easy. You think about like the Chiefs. How do you want to what do you want to do to the Chiefs? You want to empty out the box, dare them to run, and just try to stop Mahomes, which is easier said than done. But mm-hmm. what do you want to do to the Dolphins? And we'll get into that. But you want to hit Tua. You want to pressure the receivers. Like, there's a weak point for every team, it feels like. For the Eagles, like, the difference in rush EPA and dropback EPA for the Eagles is so small. Dallas is the next closest in terms of that difference. And their difference is over 500% larger than the Eagles. Like, the Eagles are quite confident to take whatever you're going to give them. This is not a team that, um, this is not a team that has to play to their strengths. They can play to your weakness because they don't have a weakness offensively. They can attack you whatever way you want to give them. And that's why I think they're the most complete team in the the most complete offense in the NFL. Uh, the the road to the Super Bowl in the NFC runs through them. Absolutely. And and, and I think, you know, we, we talked about that they should be the Super Bowl favorites just by virtue of there's more teams in the AFC uh, that are competitive, so they've got an easier path to get there. But that aside, like, the Eagles should be Super Bowl favorites. This is a very, very good football team. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And the fact that you know, I saw ESPN analytics or whatever that nonsense was where Dallas has a 50% chance to make the Super Bowl um, and the Eagles have a 30% chance. Um, uh, it actually sparked a really interesting debate in the gambling community, kind of comparing the NFC title picture odds and how that just doesn't have real bearing on, you know, what the analytics say. And the analytics are much more slanted towards the Eagles if you look at the gambling aspect of things. So, um, I, I tend to trust the guys out in Vegas more than whatever computers they have up in Connecticut. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the Eagles are now more than ever. And we're going to talk about it when we get into San Francisco, who I think we both had tabbed as potentially the toughest team in the entire NFC for the Eagles specifically. Because uh, I kind of think that they kind of want to do similar things and, and they might just have better talent to be quite honest. But if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a quarterback. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of experiment goes, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But that feels like you kind of knock the contender off the board, whereas in the AFC, you've got Buffalo, you've got Kansas City, you've got Cincy, you've got Miami, you've got all these teams. I mean, Tennessee is probably you know, outside looking in on those teams. Um, Baltimore, in my opinion, is, is on the outside looking in on those teams. But that's four legitimate contenders. Um, and even if you're not in on Miami, it's three legitimate contenders. Uh, and that's I just don't see a third legitimate contender in the NFC. And I think the Eagles at this point, being two wins ahead of Dallas and having a pretty good shot 
at winning the division and a pretty good shot at getting the one seed. Um, I, I think 538 had the one seed uh, opportunity at 63% right now for the Eagles, which I actually think feels a little low. Um, but I think given the fact that they're going to be the one seed, given the fact that they're the most complete offense in the NFL, and there's nothing you can do to fully stop them. I mean, yeah, you can slow them down, and we've seen them you know, struggle at times in certain games and put up 21 or, or something like that in a game. But they haven't really been fully stopped in, in any of these games because it's just not possible with all the weapons that you have with Jalen Hurts' legs, the weapons we have with the pass catchers, uh, the offensive line obviously being the best in football, and Nick Sirianni having – the guts as a play caller to be aggressive and go for it in short yardage situations. I think all of those things being put together and how efficient they are in the red zone and how efficient they are in short yardage situations. I think it, the Eagles should be presumptive Super Bowl favorites. It, it shouldn't even just be, you know, barely ahead uh, of the chiefs or the bills, or I haven't actually looked um, today to, to see where they're at, but. Uh, I think that they should be, you know, in the plus 400 range for Super Bowl favorites. Yeah, and we didn't even mention, you know, the pass rush. They get six sacks and 19 pressures of Ryan Tannehill. Like, Hassan Reddick had eight pressures. I mean, the the defense is incredible right now. Uh, They're going to get Chauncey Gardner-Johnson back. They're going to get Avante Maddox back. They're going to get Dallas Goddard back. Like, as good as the offense has been, they don't have Dallas Goddard the second best tight end in the NFL is not playing right now. And they have Jack Stoll out there, like such a drop off. So I, it, it was hard not to hard, not to start thinking Super Bowl thoughts this weekend. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And, you know, I think every Eagles fan at this point has one date circled on their calendar and it's Christmas Eve. I, I mean, it is, it is going to be, you know, we can, we have a make or break holiday game here. Like we could all have a, uh, we could all have a, a great Christmas and, you know, be celebrating the next day and, you know, or it can be a little bit of a, it can be, what's the, I'm trying to think of a song. It'll, it'll be a blue Christmas if, uh, if they lose that game. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's going to be one of the bigger games in recent memory for the Eagles at this point. I mean, I can't think of a game since, you know, since Alshon dropped it in 2018, or I, I think that this would be the biggest game since that game, probably. Um, I guess it's 2019, the 2018, 2019 season, but, uh, and with it being Dallas, obviously that adds just a little extra. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, anything else you want to throw out there, uh, from the Eagles Titans game before we throw it around the NFL? Yeah. I mean, what did you think of, how they use Jordan Davis coming back and, you know, kind of getting him into the mix. Yeah, they did. He, he, he was used very sparingly, which I kind of figured was going to happen. Um, I like that they put him on the field with Linval Joseph at times. I, I really think that him coming back is going to be huge just in terms of the rotation they have on the defensive front. Like you see the impact that it's made on Fletcher Cox with having that rotation and now Davis is coming back. You're not going to wear Linval Joseph. To, I mean, you had Indomitian Sue out there playing with backups at the end of the game because that's how deep <laughs> your defensive line is. So uh, I think it's going to be huge. Mostly just you, you, the run defense has been good in his absence, and now you've got Joseph that can you can keep Joseph fresh and just keep that rotation going. So 
uh, I think that's great news. We got a comment here on coming in on YouTube says Super Bowl go birds. I'm so hyped. Uh, let's clinch a playoff berth at MetLife. The Eagles can clinch a playoff spot this weekend with a win or with various scenarios of other teams losing. But uh, that's all but a foregone conclusion at this point. The Eagles are going to be in the playoffs, <laughs> and they're more than likely, as we mentioned, going to be the one seed. That's actually surprising to me uh, that they didn't already clinch. I wonder if the Commanders and Giants didn't tie. I think they might have clinched already. I think it was I think it was that the Giants needed to lose for them to clinch, but I can't remember for sure. Yeah, yeah, that, that could be that could be the case. Um, and yeah, that's interesting. But I, I I hadn't thought about that. I guess that shouldn't be surprising when you're eleven and one. Um, but it, yeah, it would definitely be nice to clinch a playoff berth at MetLife and then clinch the division uh, and get a stranglehold on the one seed um, in, in on Christmas Eve in Dallas. Um, something interesting because. It's funny how we just talked about all these contenders and we talked about, you know, who should be at the top of the Super Bowl favorites. And I, this is not an Eagles point, so I'm kind of branching off on a tangent here. How funny is it? Sorry. How funny is it that the Vikings are a three-point underdog against the Detroit Lions this week? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's hilarious. The, they've won, what, they're 9-0 and in one-score games. The, they've got 10 wins, but they've only got a plus 10-point differential right now. Uh, I, I feel like the Vikings are just going to get blown out in the playoffs, to be honest. I, but, I mean, they beat the Bills. Like, they've won some games, but eventually that luck's going to run out. It's just every time I watch them, they're just like the most uninspiring team ever. Yeah, I mean, that Jets loss, man. If the, we're gonna, I don't know why I'm talking about another game. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that game in just a minute. I guess I'm, I am done talking uh, about the Eagles, yeah. There's not much more you can say. I guess you just hope, you know, Goddard comes back soon, Avante comes back soon, Chauncey comes back soon, um, and they're fully healthy in time for the second round or maybe even in time for Christmas Eve. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's hit on the Thursday night game, and then we'll get into the Sunday slate. Buffalo at New England, they win 24-10. to 10. I think the most important thing out of this game is that Buffalo seems to be finding a running game. That completeness we just talked about for the Eagles. Um, in their last four games, they have 164 rushing yards against Detroit, 171 against Cleveland, which, granted, both of those are terrible run defenses, but 175 against Minnesota and then 132 against New England. Uh, James Cook had 14 carries. He had 105 all-purpose yards, both of which were career highs. They should have been using him all year. Like I remember watching the opening Thursday night game where he fumbled his first carry and they shelved him for the rest of the game. And it feels like he's been trying to climb out of that all season. Like He was a missing piece. You needed a back like him. And they traded for Naheem Hines, and they didn't need to because they already had James Cook, and he's better. Uh, so I'm glad to see James Cook getting some, some work now and you know it paying off for them. I just wish they would have had him out there all year. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got pretty good uh, genetics there, James Cook, obviously being related to Dalvin. Um, and he really does kind of run like him. You know, you hate to you hate to make that lazy of a comparison, but um, it, he's definitely an interesting guy that kind of is a little bit of an X factor for that offense. And, you know, obviously they have Diggs, they have Davis, and Singletary's actually been better this year than he has been in the past. Um, and you obviously have Allen as a weapon with his legs, but – 
Uh, if you can add Cook as kind of a third down back with the ability to to go out and catch some passes, to run a little bit, and to be a second back for a committee, it definitely heightens the upside of that offense. But it almost feels like Buffalo's getting a little bit lost in the shuffle right now. I guess it's just because Kansas City and San Fran, or Kansas City and uh, and since he just played such a you know huge game and San Fran and Miami were in a huge game, so people were talking about Miami. So I guess Buffalo played on Thursday. They're a little under the radar. I guess they're still the favorites in the AFC and from a gambling perspective. But um, it, it is interesting that they kind of are, are squeaking under the radar while they're holding on to the one seat of the AFC. Yeah. And, and, and this also this is not a good Mac Jones game. Uh, his final stat. Not at all. Yeah, he's 22 of 36 for 195 yards and a touchdown, but 48 of that came on a screen pass. There were garbage time yards. Like This was not a good Mac Jones game, which, again, to be expected when Matt Patricia is calling your offensive plays. Which, by the way, not to talk about another team while we're talking about this game, but Mac Jones coming off the best game of his career last week. Who was that against? Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. I think that says a lot about that defense that Mac Jones was able to torch them with, you know, relative ease. And then a week later plays one of the worst games of his career uh, against an actual defense in Buffalo. Uh, so I, I guess I'm going to, you know, maybe that's my bit on this podcast. Like every game we talk about, you're going to bring the I'm Vikings gonna up. Yeah. I'm going to find a way to take a subtle shot at the Vikings. Yeah. Maybe not so subtle. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, here's your next one. Pittsburgh at Atlanta. Pittsburgh wins 19-16. It was the first time this season the Steelers have won back-to-back games. Um, they rush for 154 yards, which obviously that makes life easier for Kenny Pickett. Uh, Pickett went 16 of 28 for 197 yards and a touchdown with no interceptions. So, you know, Pickett's he's been fine for the Steelers, I think. Uh, so that's good news for them moving forward. Uh, the Falcons, they struggled to run the ball in the first half, and they don't have a quarterback. And so they just fell in a hole, and they couldn't get out of it. And the game ended predictably with yet another Marcus Mariota interception. I mean, stop me if you've heard that one before. How many times this season has Mariota had the ball with a chance to execute a game-winning drive, and he's thrown an interception or he's fumbled? It, it feels like that happens every game they lose. Um the other fun note from this game, I guess, that this game tied the record for the most 45-plus yard field goals in one game with five. So a lot of long field goals kicked in this game. So shout out to the kickers. They're people too. Yeah, yeah. They, I, I saw that stat. And, you know, Matthew Wright, who, uh, who would have thought he'd break the record. Um, yeah, the Steelers are a good football team. They'd be 7-5 and five if T.J. Watt had played the full year. I, I fully believe that. Um, they're 5-7. and seven. I think there's a chance that Mike Tomlin can streak alive. He could get to nine and eight. It's, you know, the, the schedule's not easy, but I, I wouldn't describe it as tough either. I think they have a Raiders game in there. I think they have another pretty easy game. I think they might have two Ravens games. Usually they split those. If they can find a way to, to go four and one to, to finish the year here, Mike Tomlin keeps the streak alive of not going, uh, not going below 500. Yeah, I think it'd be hilarious if he ended up eight, eight, and one. Yeah, we talked about that last week. Yeah, that would be unreal commitment to the bit from Mike Tomlin. Yeah, it's it's Baltimore at Carolina, 
Carolina. Las Vegas yeah. at Baltimore and then versus Cleveland. Yeah, I, I think that they're going to be 8-8 eight and eight going into that game against Cleveland. So that's my prediction. And that'll at least be a, a fun subplot uh, in that game that probably won't matter for any other reason. And we can all, as a society, come together to root against Deshaun Watson like we will every week. Yeah. All right. Uh, next game: Denver at Baltimore. Baltimore wins ten to nine. Lamar Jackson went down with a knee injury in the first quarter, and he didn't return. <clears throat> oh, we know it's not season ending, but it might keep him out for a little bit. And so Tyler Huntley comes in, and he did just enough to get by. And by just enough, I mean he just really didn't do anything until the last drive of the game. But that's enough because Denver stinks. And then they went on a 64-yard, 16-play drive with two fourth-down conversions capped by a Huntley touchdown run. But the real story in this game, as it has been all year, is just the Denver offense is inept. Uh, there was a sequence in this game where Justin Simmons gets an interception and he returns it to the Baltimore 40. And instead of scoring a touchdown, the offense gains eight yards and kicks a field goal. On the very next drive, Simmons intercepted Huntley again in the end zone and the offense picked up one first down and then punted it away. So just to put this in context, Denver is averaging 13.8 points per game right now. They would be the first team in the last 10 years to average under 14 points per game. The 2008 Lions that went 0-16 averaged 16.8 points per game. <laughs> Denver is averaging three less points per game than the only, or not, I guess it's not the only, the most recent Ofer team in the NFL, the 2008 Lions. So that's how it's going in Denver with Russell Wilson. Yeah, I mean, the Russell Wilson trade is going to go down as the worst in NFL history. I think that there's a good chance that that's the case unless they can fix it, but I just don't see what you're going to be able to fix with where Russell Wilson's at right now. Um, I'll get into the Baltimore of it all in just a second, but I saw that people were old takes exposing. Um, there was an ESPN, uh, you know, a trade grades article from when that Seahawks Broncos thing came out. The Broncos got a D minus while the C while or rather uh, the Seahawks got a D minus while the Broncos got like a, a A minus on the trade grades, and it's like oof, you know, you might want to reverse that one at this point. I, I think that. You know, Seattle has to be feeling better and better every time that they watch Russell Wilson and every time that they remember that they have Denver's pick, um, which right now is a top five pick. Uh, so, you know, Seattle gets to have their cake and eat it too, kind of in the same way that the Eagles do, where they can compete for the playoffs while they know they kind of have a top five to ten pick in their pocket. Um, but then for, for Baltimore, man, I mean, we've said it all year long. I guess the defense stepped up here. I don't know if I'd say that the defense stepped up or if the Broncos offense is just inept, to be honest. But I think that Lamar Jackson was propping up a below average to bad roster uh, for the entire year. I think there's a really, really good chance that the Ravens go into a bit of a nosedive coming up here. Uh, for, as, uh, for however long as Lamar's out, I saw one to three weeks. I saw two to four weeks. I don't know what the what the actual diagnosis is there, um, but I, I think that it's going to be really, really tough for the Ravens to win without Lamar. I know people like Tyler Huntley, and I like Tyler Huntley. I think he's a really good backup, 
he was one in four last year. And I thought he played out of his mind, uh, you know, statistically in those games. Um, so I think it's going to be really, really tough for the Ravens to win games without Lamar due to how they're constructed and due to the fact that they've put nothing around Lamar to help them succeed. Yeah, I mean, it was tough for them to win with Lamar, and now they're going to try yeah. to win without Lamar. So I think it probably spells the end of the Ravens' playoff push, to be honest. Yeah, they could get a wild card. I think what I'm more so saying is the division, I think, is going to be really tough. And even though Cincy, Cincy's got a really hard you know, schedule, but you know, you look at the schedule and you say, well, if you beat Kansas City, what's a hard schedule, you know? So um, it's going to be interesting to see how Cincy performs down the, schedule, down the stretch. But I can't see the Ravens finishing better than I, – I, what's their record right now? Eight and five or seven – eight and four? Yeah, I didn't write that down. I think it's I think it's eight and four. Um, so I, I don't see them finishing better than ten and seven. They're eight and four, tied with the Bengals. Yeah, I don't see them finishing better than ten and seven. Yeah, it, it would be a tough road, especially if Lamar misses any extended time. Which I think he will at this point. Yeah. We can say that. Yeah, it, it feels like if he was not going to miss very long, they would have said like, "Yeah, he's day to day. We might have him back this week," but. That's not the approach that's been taken. That makes me think it's going to be something more substantial. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Okay, Green Bay at Chicago. Green Bay wins 28-19. to 19. Uh, Christian Watson is a breath of fresh air. He's a silver lining for Packers fans. He took an end around 46 yards for a touchdown uh, inside the two-minute warning to put the game away. He also caught a touchdown pass on a fourth and four at the end of the first half. And so... Uh, the Christian Watson onslaught continues on the bear side. Uh, Justin Fields, I thought looked good early. He had some nice deep balls. He had a 55 yard touchdown run. Uh, he threw a pick in the fourth quarter that kind of sealed the deal uh, on a ball. I would argue was the wide receiver's fault. The wide receiver took like four yards to decelerate and come out of his break on a stop route and just got undercut. But uh, yeah, that Chase Claypool had a fumble. There was a missed extra point. Just a lot of little mistakes mounted for Chicago. But Chicago fans probably feel pretty good because their ideal outcome is for Justin Fields to look good and the Bears to lose every week. Mm -hmm. And so you get a check on both boxes this week. Yeah, so when the Eagles play at 1 o'clock, I'm obviously focusing on the Eagles and then probably on my heavy bets. Um, which this week, I, I don't even remember, but Green Bay Chicago was definitely not one of them. But there was two games this week that I, you know, I had red zone on on the fourth screen and I'm kind of following that just, you know, tangentially while when the Eagles are at commercial. And there were two games this week, this being the first of the two, that I kind of thought were over. It was, you know, one, one of those situations where I saw the Bears go up 16 to three. And I was like, okay, I don't have to think about that game anymore. Like, the Bears are going to win. They're up 16-3. to Wow, Packers stink, whatever. And then, like, later on in the day, I'm watching all these games, and I kind of hadn't thought about the game in a long time. And I saw the Christian Watson end around to go up 26-19, and I'm like, what the hell happened here? <laughs> like, I, I, I was so, like, dis disoriented by that touchdown by looking down at the scoreboard and seeing the score. I, I you know. One of those funny things when, you know, because the NFL puts way too many games on at the same time, um, I, it's definitely uh, a game that slipped through the cracks here a little bit for me. Yeah. Well, let's flip on to the next one then. 
the Jags at Detroit, a game that went very poorly uh, for the Jags. They got beat 40 to 14. Uh, Detroit didn't punt the entire game. And usually when you say that, it's like, oh, they had, you know, six scoring drives and two fumbles or, you know, whatever. No, 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 no. No turnovers, no punts, eight straight, eight straight scoring drives, and then a kneel down to end the game. Uh, the Jared Goff to Amon Ross St. Brown connection continues to pay off. He had 11 catches for 114 yards and two touchdowns in this one. It just it started bad with the Jags. Opening drive fumble by Travis Etienne. Uh, they had a huge injury scare with Trevor Lawrence early in the game, but fortunately he was able to return. I don't know how he was, but um, back on the Lions side, I, I'm a little discombobulated here i guess back on the lion's side i forgot to mention jameson williams saw his first action of the season in this game he played he only played eight snaps two of them were victory formation but to get him out on the field is a good is a good sign for the lions um hopefully they can slowly ease him in as the season goes along but mark i've got a question for you this season that you know the, the lions are going to have a top pick courtesy of the rams that the Lions offense has looked good this year. Should the Lions draft a quarterback with their top five pick? I asked you this last week and I you kinda laughed at me. You you were like you were incredulous that I was asking and it was like, Oh yeah, Jared Goff, you get rid of him. You go and draft a guy. And that's probably the right answer. <laughs> but man, he's making it tough. He's making the decision tough on them. At this point you can say that and you know, when you're watching him, and I said this last week, but when you watch him in these games, you get reminded of why people were so high on him to be the number one pick of the draft. You get reminded of the times in L.A. early on in his career where you saw some flashes and some promise from him, and he has some things that he does really well. He's a really, really, really good play-action quarterback. And he's they, Ben Johnson... He's going to get a lot of coaching interviews for head coaching jobs, in my opinion, the offensive coordinator for the Lions, because how good this Lions offense is for the talent that's on it, I think that you know that ratio is as crazy as any in the, in the league, if that makes sense. Um, so I think Ben Johnson's getting the most out of the least, uh, and I, he's playing to Jared Goff's strengths. He's doing everything he can to maximize Goff as a passer, and, you know, props to golf, props to Ben Johnson. This Lions, this Lions team is, you know, more talented than I think people want to give it credit for. Um, but, uh, of course, I, I will just say real quick. Actually, before I say that, your opinion on the Jared Golf question you asked me. Yeah, I, I, I forgot you asked that last week. Um, so, or I wouldn't ask you here. I, my, I'm st- I still haven't changed. Like, you know, it's nice that. Goff's been a feel-good story this year, and he's looked good. But I think you got to go get the quarterback if there's somebody you like. I mean, you don't have to force it if there's if you don't like any of these quarterbacks. I don't know how you could not like any of these quarterbacks, but um, I still think you go get the quarterback. Maybe you have the maybe you have the ability to take a guy that needs a little time because you can still play Goff or something like that. But I, I'm definitely taking the quarterback if I'm the Lions. I have a take that kind of spans beyond this game here. Does I don't it have anything know. to do with the Vikings? No, no, it doesn't. Although maybe they should look for a quarterback. Um, <laughs> uh, but I will just say I might be out 
on this quarterback draft class outside of Bryce Young. I really, really like Bryce Young. I've got some serious questions about C.J. Stroud. I've got some, you know, more than questions about Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. I see the traits with all of them. I see the tools with all three. But, man, I'd be hard-pressed to spend a top-five pick on any of those three guys. So I guess I am kind of leaning. Maybe you maybe you draft a defender. Yeah. Well, if you do, just don't do what the Jags did and draft someone like Trayvon Walker who doesn't know how to rush the passer when they're a pass rusher. Yeah, it looks like... Has there been a more disappointing number one overall pick in, like, recent memory? Like, he has made no impact all season. Well, he started the year hot, right? He he had a good first game or two. And Uh, I remember we we kind of apologized on the podcast. That might have been the most... uh, the most premature apology of all time because man, he has been quiet uh, since we apologized for not being very high on him. Um, I was very, very low on him. I don't even know if I had him in the top 15, Um, but yeah, it's not surprising to me at all that Jacksonville would make a horrible decision because it seems like almost every decision they've made besides hiring Trevor or hiring Doug Peterson and drafting Trevor Lawrence has been incredibly wrong. But what could you expect when you have a, Tony Khan running player personnel. He's booking AEW wrestling. He's, you know, drafting guys for the Jaguars. He's like managing transfers for the Fulham soccer club. Maybe do one of the three. Well, before you do all three, Tony Khan, that's my little AEW dig. You had him uh, 18th. I had him 16th. We both had him as edge four. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all. By the way, a guy we had in front of him, Carl Loftus. Um, I don't know if the stats necessarily show it but i people have been saying that carlotis has been a huge impact um for kansas city defensively and i know we both had him higher than walker yeah think and he went like 30 spots later i think you got to go back to jamarcus russell to find a more disappointing first round pick and and that doesn't mean that you know it doesn't mean he's going to be jamarcus russell anybody should i mean anybody should have seen that it's going to take a long time for him to develop so maybe it works out but you know, even guys that have been drafted since then, like Sam Bradford, who flamed out, he was still like rookie of the year, his rookie season. He started fast. Uh, Jameis Winston, I, I don't know. It's just just kind of a disaster for the Jags to have taken him uh, at number one overall with you look at guys like Sauce Gardner and other people that Ooh. they could have taken. Your defense just gave up 40 points. I, I, I'd like to have a Sauce Gardner, please. Yeah, and the interesting thing is on the other side of the ball, the Lions had Aiden Hutchinson, who is kind of the opposite of Trayvon Walker. He was really quiet uh, for, for a while to start the year, and it seems like he's really picked it up uh, over the last month or so, or maybe even a little longer than that. And he's really playing well and kind of living up to the expectations that he had when he was drafted number two, when a lot of people thought he should have been drafted number one. Um, we're going to talk about another D-end. Um, who played in a tie game, uh, um, who probably should have went number one above both of those guys, but I digress. And even even Devin Lloyd. Devin Lloyd has also not been very good this year. He started hot, too, and has just fallen off. Like Just kind of a disaster of a draft for the Jaguars, if we're being honest. You know who had a big game for the Jaguars, though? Who's that? Chad Muma. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He had one and a half sacks. He had 11 tackles. I don't know how he's been all year, but, man, Chad Luma, 
Nice to see his name. Yeah, we liked him for day two. Yeah, yeah, we did. All right, let's roll on to the game. Nobody wants to talk about uh, Cleveland at Houston. Cleveland wins 27-14. Pass. Next. Uh, yeah, next. Uh, I will say that there there was – I'll mention briefly for Cleveland because they're technically still in the playoff race. There was no rhythm in their offense, which was to be expected with Watson coming back. He looked bad, and so the people rejoice, and we continue to root against him. Uh, yeah. The only thing I'll say is that David Coley should be retroactively given the coach of the year last year for winning four games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, firing him was such a joke. L- look at how they are this year. L- look how Davis Mills regressed. Like, mm-hmm. you take a what, – what was Mills, a third-round pick, a fourth-round pick? I can't even remember now. But Yeah, I think third. You take a day-two quarterback, and he shows promise as a rookie – and then you fire the coach that was working with him. It just never made any sense. The Texans are dumpster fire, and they deserve to be. Yeah, and, you know, they're going to backwards fail into Bryce Young. Hopefully they don't ruin his career. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I the Texans, man, what an absolute travesty of an organization. Yeah. Okay, let's skip on past that one because – they're not relevant. <laughs> and we'll go to the New York New York Jets uh, at the Minnesota Vikings. The Jets lost this game 22-27. to uh, The Vikings' defense came up big at the end of this game. Uh, it sort of turned into a scoring battle with four scoring drives back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To back to back to back. Uh, then the Vikings' offense went cold. They had a lead. They went cold. They went three and out two times in a row. But the defense had two red zone stands, uh, one of them getting off the field on fourth down, the other one intercepting a pass, and the Vikings escape with a win. They are 10-2 and two with a plus 10-point differential. Think about that. They are 9-0 and in one-score games. Their two losses, obviously, were a pretty bad loss to the Eagles and a total blowout against the Cowboys. And yet they're 10-2, and two, and if the, if the season ended today, they're the two-seed in the NFC. Yeah, I mean, the Vikings are the biggest frauds uh, that, you know, the Steelers a couple of years ago, I think they were 11-0, 12-0. They were really huge frauds as well. Uh, but this Vikings team, man, that point differential is a hilarious, hilarious number. This was the other game that I didn't have a, a ton of eyes on until the fourth quarter, I should say. I saw the Vikings go up. I, I don't even know what it was, but they were up pretty big early. And the Jets seem to be struggling a lot early. And I kind of just marked that down. And I was like, oh, okay, I don't have to focus on this game. Vikings are actually going to, you know, not have to win by a field goal. They're actually going to win a game convincingly. And that didn't happen. I gave them too much credit. But this is an unbelievable win for the Vikings because they got outplayed. The Jets were in the red zone six times and got points once on those six drives, that's just a statistical anomaly unlike anything you'll see. Uh, If you just take a couple field goals, the Jets win this game. Or if Braxton Berrios just holds on to the ball, they win the game. At the end of the game, it's a perfect throw from Mike White, who Mike White was up and down in this game like you'd kind of expect. But that's what's going to happen when you have him throw 57 times or however many it was. Um, 
it, man, I, they put Mike White in a tough spot. I thought he played pretty well mostly. Um, he made a couple bad decisions, but I, I thought that there was a couple drops that really kind of hamstrung the Jets in this game from winning what they absolutely should have won. Yeah, it it kind of makes you wish that they had played White earlier in the season. Like it was pretty obvious that Zach Wilson was done. We we called for him to be done before he was benched. Eventually, it kind of makes you wish that they had played White earlier, so he had a little more experience. And I mean, they're getting that now. They're still in that push for the playoffs, but the the it never would have happened. But there were two outcomes that I thought would have been hilarious. <clears throat> when Baker Mayfield got waived, the first one obviously would be if he got picked up by the 49ers and won a Super Bowl ring uh, after <laughs> he got benched for PJ Walker. The second one that would have been hilarious is if like, and this would have never happened, but it would have been hilarious if the Jets claimed him. And so the Jets just traded Sam Darnold to the Panthers. And then the Panthers went and got Baker Mayfield and then they got rid of Mayfield and replaced him with Darnold and then Mayfield going back to the Jets. That would have just been hilarious. Uh, ultimately, neither <laughs> happens. He ends up with the Rams, which is kind of nice for Eagles draft pick purposes. It would be nice if he could win a game or two for the Rams, but uh, I don't know where I'm meandering with that, but I just thought that would have been really funny. Yeah, no, the Baker thing is interesting. Uh, you know, I, I thought that San Fran made a ton of sense just to get another body in there, even if he wasn't going to start. Um, but, yeah, it, there's a comment here from Fred Burns. Uh, you guys probably don't remember, but Vikings were my Super Bowl pick on your week one show. Mark didn't hate them as much back then. He didn't agree but didn't think it was crazy. Yeah, the funny thing about me hating the Vikings right now is I picked the Vikings to be this. I picked the Vikings to go 12-5 and five and win their division and kind of be the surprise of the NFC. But I thought they'd do it in a fashion where maybe they didn't have a plus 10 point differential at 10-2. and two. It's the way they've done it, not what they've done. And it's not even the roster. The roster's good, especially on offense. And I think that the coach has done a really good job on offense. I just have some serious questions about the defense. And I have some serious questions about the fact that I think there's been a lot of luck involved just inherently in the fact that they're 9-0 and in one-score games. Yeah, you were interested in the coach for coach of the year. Um, yeah, I, I have think... a bet on him. And it's yeah, not going to hit. I think I have a future bet on the over on Vikings. I'd have to go look again. I know I contemplated it, but uh, I can't remember for sure now. Like I thought, I thought the Vikings would be would win the North and be a pretty decent team this year. Ironically, I expected them to be a better team with a worse record than they are right now. Like I didn't expect them to be ten and two. I also expected mm -hmm. to be more impressed by them. I totally agree. You you put it better than I did for sure there. That's that's just that's just weird to say. Like I thought they would be a better team with a worse record, but anyways, no, you're exactly right. Yeah, uh, Fred says the show's great. Really enjoy it. Good stuff, guys. Thanks, Fred. Glad you're glad you're here in the chat, hanging out and enjoying the show. Um, let's roll on to the tie, Washington at the Giants. Both teams needed to win this game, and I guess neither team lost, so they kind of got a half a win each. Uh, they tied 20 to 20. Uh, Daniel Jones rushed the ball 12 times for 71 yards in this game. Saquon was still below four yards per carry, but he did score a touchdown. Uh, Daniel Jones went 25 of 31 passing for 200 yards and one touchdown, but 
the Giants were 4 of 13 on third downs, and they had the ball twice in overtime, and they never even got into field goal range. So kind of a disaster for the Giants' offense. On the flip side, you know, Taylor Heineke was sacked five times. He fumbled once. It was just kind of a sloppy game all the way around. Uh, what did you make of this one? I think that the Giants have kind of reverted to, yeah, I'm afraid to let Daniel Jones do anything, so let's have him think and dunk and run and not do anything that would have him have a mistake. And I just don't think you're going to win games long-term like that in the NFL with the way that, you know, the offense offense is in 2022. Um, I guess I'll, I'll comment on the thing we were talking about a little bit earlier Kayvon Thibodeau uh, was who I was referencing when we were talking about Hutchinson and Walker. And, man, he looked like a game wrecker in this game. I and mean, he only had one sack. But from the eye test, he was the most important player on the field on either side of the ball for either team. Um, and it feels like, you know, he is really coming into his own and making it known that he was the best player in that draft class. Um, I guess Sauce probably. Uh, is actually the best player from that draft class. But at the time, we definitely thought Kayvon should have went number one. And, and, you know, without hindsight being fully 2020, because obviously I'd, even us being as high as we were on Sauce, I don't think we saw Sauce coming in and having an argument for being the best corner in the NFL um, in, in his first year. But I didn't hindsight even have being, him CB1. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I sh- uh, well, I'll have to make fun of you more for that. Uh, I, I had a, I had them both top five, so I think that helps. Yeah, but yeah. Like top five overall, not top five corners. I just had Stingley slightly edging him out, but yeah. Yeah, you're. That's like a Jamar. That's a Jamar situation for you. Remember, I, I had Jamar Chase like sixth overall, but mm-hmm. I had him behind like Pitts, Smith, and Waddle. So I, I remember people were kind of giving me crap on Twitter about being low on Chase in the draft, um, and it's like, well, I had him number six overall. Uh, so you're in like the same position with Sauce, um, but Chase Chase wasn't my wide receiver one that class either. Waddle was. Waddle, yeah, yeah. I was Smith, so I was the wrongest of of the three. But um, I was Pitts, so I might even been the wrongest of the four. Um, I, I like Pitts. <laughs> I, I like Pitts more than the other three. Uh, but this game, you know, both coaches at times played for a tie, and, and you know what? Most of the time, I would come out and bash that. Most of the time, I'd come out and kill that. I think it was a great call by at least Ron Rivera to, to run the ball on third down when the Giants didn't have a timeout and to punt it to them and leave them in a situation that was going to be tough to get anything more than what they did, which was a 58-yard field goal. So um, I think Washington made the right decision given the fact that the game was in New York and they get them two weeks from now in Washington. Um, I, I think that it is a good call After to play a for a tie. Yeah, after a bye week. I think it was really smart by Washington to play for a tie there. The Giants, on the other hand, with some of the conservative you know, play calling they had in overtime, I don't know if I love them playing for a tie quite as much. Yeah. So the Giants are 1-3-1 one, and one in their last five with the only win coming over the Texans. Uh, and in the non-Texans games, Saquon has rushed for 53, 22, 39, and 63 yards. So... Saquon started the year strong and it's not that this isn't a Saquon is bad take their offensive lines a disaster Uh, yeah but they they have not been able to run the this is a this is a the Giants have not been able to run the ball and so their offense has fallen apart and they're one three and one take 
Like Saquon's probably fine, but the offensive line's been a train wreck. The Giants scored their 20th point to go up 20 to 13 with 11 minutes and 34 seconds left in the third quarter. They did not cross the 40 again after that. I, I think that that says a lot. Uh, and that's how many minutes of game time. That's, you know, 37 minutes of game time pretty much after that, given the fact the rest of the third quarter, fourth quarter, and then a 10 minute overtime. Um, which, by the way, it's ridiculous that overtime's not 15 minutes. Uh, I don't understand that. And I'll never understand why they tried to pass off a 15 to 10 minute difference in overtime as a player safety thing. Um, but whatever. But they uh, keep having Thursday night games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's smart. And let's send them over to London and let's send them to Germany and let's send them to Mexico City and let's make sure they play a short week the next week after that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, but, you know, make sure you shorten that five minutes for the one time that each team plays overtime each year. Like, I actually wonder, like, there's probably an overtime game every week, right? So on average, like, I'd say every team plays one overtime game. I'm sure some teams play three or four and some teams play zero, but it's it's pretty rare to go to overtime just in general. So uh, the fact that they pass that off as a player safety thing when it's not that common of a thing anyway is is just stupid. Um, I sounded like you had a. Oh, a I was stat gonna say there, for me. there were there were twenty one overtime games last season in twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. Does that include I don't the playoffs have that number or no? for this year though? Uh, I think that did include the playoffs. The whole season, there was 21. So you're, that's about right, about one a week. That's more than I would have thought. Yeah. When you first said one a week, I was like, oh, it's not that much. But I guess it is. Uh, well, I bet going forward, this is this is such a tangent that we would go on here, but I bet going forward, it'll actually be less because we're seeing more and more teams try to go for two um, mm-hmm. instead of playing for overtime at the end of the game. So that'll be interesting to kind of track, actually. That's a fun little step. There you go. If you want to want to do player safety, just make it illegal to kick an extra point to tie a game. <laughs> if an extra like point that. will tie it, you have to go for two. I like that. I like that a lot. I'm I'm still a fan of ten minute overtime, and if it's still tied, then we go to a kicker kickoff, like penalty shootout for soccer. But we're doing and you know and in the spirit of the World Cup, you know you both kick thirty five yard field goals, and we just keep moving back until one person misses, and then that's the game. You've heard my theory on kickers, right? What What's that? We should get rid of kickers, and it, it should just be the quarterbacks throwing the ball through the uprights. You so go. you could like you could kick a field goal from like your own thirty if you have a like Josh Allen, and it, yeah. it'll just it'll make like it'll make teams roster their backup quarterback as a guy with like a huge arm, like <laughs> Vince Young. Vince Young would still have a job. Like it'd be like Lynch oh, would be the best. Paxton Lynch yeah, yeah. would be the best extra point or field goal guy in the league. If our if our extra point guy got hurt, it'd be like, oh, the Eagles are calling Michael Vick. Like they think he's still, they think he's still got a seventy yarder in there. Uh, yeah, that that's always been my my way to eliminate uh, failed soccer players uh, from determining the outcome of football games. Although I will say, I think kickers make like a better living than MLS soccer players, like the best MLS soccer players which is pretty funny. Yeah. All right. Let's roll on Seattle at the Los Angeles Rams. They win 27 to 23. They started hot in this game, had an 80 and a 91 yard touchdown drive in the first three possessions, but then mistakes started to pile up. Geno Smith got strip sacked two laters, 
two, two laters, two drives later, there was a, I don't know, they called it an interception. The ball got ripped out of the running back's hands, like as he was going down. It, it, it was kind of controversial. I, I take issue with that being called an interception. If that's a catch, that's a catch and fumble, not an interception. That shouldn't be on Geno for a pick uh, when it comes to the stat sheet. But uh, anyways, the Rams take a lead with under four minutes to go. But then Geno led a 70-yard drive to win the game. And so Seattle gets the win, but their defense continues to be an issue. Uh, they allowed 10 fourth-quarter points to an offense led by John Wolford. And that's never good. That said, they just got some cushion with the – well, potentially some cushion with the 49ers situation we'll get into in a moment. Um, Bobby Wagner, he his revenge game was denied on Seattle, but it was despite his best <laughs> efforts. He had seven tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks, a pass breakup, and then the aforementioned interception slash fumble, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so Bobby Wagner had a good game. It just couldn't push the Rams across the finish line. Uh, the other notable thing from this game is Geno Smith just set a career high for single season passing yards with 3,169, and he's got five games left. So I'm shocked that hadn't happened before. Do what? I'm shocked that hadn't happened before. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we already knew this, but by far having the best season of his career that didn't happen like four weeks ago maybe i didn't give gino enough credit for you know whatever his best season was with the jets um but yeah gino was unbelievable in this game i you know he had three uh, 367 uh in this game he was like nine and a half yards per attempt he was taking shots down the field and he was really just you know getting the ball in the hands of the right guys to get the ball to and it seems like gino is really smart at getting the ball to lock it in DK and knowing when to trust DK in a one-on-one situation and knowing that Tyler Lockett's open 90% of the time. Uh, Tyler Lockett has for a long time been one of the most underrated players in the NFL. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that, but he's not a sexy receiver. You know, he's not a huge yak guy. He's not going to catch 15 touchdowns or have 1500 yards, but he has been incredibly consistent for such a long time now uh, and you know he's been better than ever with Gino this year and Gino at this point he might like they're doing the top five candidates for MVP now he might be my number five right now if I was like building out a top five list for MVPs I think Gino has to have an argument to be on it but like you said the defense definitely has some concerns they lost their top two running backs in this game and Rashad Penny's already hurt. So they are without their top three running backs right now. DJ Dallas was literally their only healthy running back by the end of this game. Um, so that's going to be a concern for them. See if they bring anyone in or do anything there. Um, but yeah, I mean, this passing offense is up there among the best in the NFL. Yeah. Not to go on another tangent, but this is why fantasy football is stupid. <laughs> I had, I, my fantasy football team had Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, Gus Edwards, like just ridiculous. But that's another tangent because I hate fantasy football and you uh, make me play don't it every make year. Me, don't but, make me defend the honor of fantasy football. It's dumb. Anyways, uh, yeah, yeah. Gino had Gino threw for three thousand forty-six yards as a rookie uh, for the Jets in twenty thirteen. I guess it was his rookie season. His first year he played. Uh, I think he was a rookie then. Since then, 2014 to 2021, he's thrown for 3,800 yards. So 
he has the potential to throw for more yards this season than he has in what is that in the previous eight seasons so he's going to top his previous eight seasons uh passing yardage total and he's already tied the touchdown total at 22 yeah i i forgot to mention this so i'm gonna rewind real quick to the to the giants commanders game i just wanted to say i had the under at 41 in that game and it was 20 it was 2020 going into overtime and uh cashing that uh, that under 41 is one of my favorite uh bets that i've ever won in my life that's just a hilarious win that is that's that's I, incredible I, ha- I had to throw that out there i forgot about that i was i'm yeah. looking at the, how i look at the games here when we're going through them uh it's on action network which has my bets on it and i saw that under on there and i was like i have to bring it up <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty incredible all right we got five games left here uh first one here let's go miami at san francisco san francisco wins 33 to 17 uh, Nick Bosa had three sacks. He had five QB pressures. The defense forced two, or excuse me, forced four turnovers, uh, including two interceptions from Tua. Miami was 0 of 7 on third downs. They had just 19 and a half minutes time of possession. I, the 49ers came into this with a brilliant game plan, I thought. All season it's been, we're going to play two safeties high. We're going to play zone coverage. Nobody can keep up with Tyreek and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. We don't want to get beat over the top. And what has happened to every team? They've been beat over the top anyways. And so D'Amico Ryans took a different approach. He said, we're going to get up on key downs. We're going to get up and we're going to press wide receivers. We're going to disrupt timing. And we're going to try mm-hmm. to hit Tua. And they hit Tua. And he fell apart. Nobody, nobody likes to get hit less in the NFL than Tua. And I thought it was a brilliant game plan. And, and they got beat. You're going to get yours. Tyreek Hill, per next-gen stats, had 10 targets with three-plus yards of separation. He was wide open all day, except when he wasn't. And when he wasn't, Tua took hits, and then he started to get a little gun-shy. Uh, I, I thought that was just a brilliant game plan from a team that does not play press coverage. They play a lot of quarters and things like that. They knew that wasn't going to work. Um, just I, I've never been more wowed by a defensive coordinator's approach to a game than I was in this one. D'Amico Ryan's definitely had a, a good approach here, and this will be, you know, on the head coach candidate, uh, you know, his, his little, I don't know, his resume, uh, whatever you want to say. Um, this will definitely be, you know, the leading game he'll talk about in those interviews. I will just say I'm not worried about the Dolphins' offense. Tua still, I think it's a little overblown, uh, kind of the Tua slander out there on Twitter after this game. He's still, I, I think he's still got the ball to in the hands of Tyreek a, a pretty good amount when he was open. Um, and, and I think we have to take into account the fact that Teron Armstead was out in this game. They were without one of the best left tackles in the entire NFL. Um, uh, so I think if they have Armstead in there, there's a little less pressure. Um, but even having said that, they definitely did a, a great, great job um in terms of game planning for that that's a funny funny little meme right there <laughs> uh, for anyone that's listening to the audio uh version on apple uh shane put up a picture of his tweet saying me when the squad doesn't revive me in Warzone," and it's a picture of mike mcdaniel um him and him and kyler could definitely be call of duty buddies him and uh kyler yeah. and mike mcdaniel 
that was after like the I think it was the Jimmy Ward Superman dive interception and I just saw he just like looked up at the camera and I was like that's hilarious like I gotta get a sc- I gotta get a screenshot of that one. But I know everyone's gonna focus on Tua and everyone's gonna focus on the Dolphins' offense because everyone is desperate for Tua to fail and I don't really quite understand that. But the the concern here is the defense. I kept live betting the Dolphins after Jimmy G went down, thinking, you know, I had broken Vegas. and I didn't understand why Vegas had was giving San Fran so much credit without even seeing Brock Purdy first. But Miami's defense getting torched by Brock Purdy and San Fran getting whatever they wanted in this game. It was a sobering game for me on Miami, and it was a game that makes me kind of look at them a little bit like Minnesota and saying that that defense might disqualify them um, from legitimate contendership. Yeah. That's the most concerning thing. Like what, what they did, what the 49ers did to them defensively can't be replicated. It can to a degree. Like I think you should be pressing, pressing these receivers. You're going to get beat. Just try to pick your spots and win. But not mm-hmm. every team has a Nick Bosa to rush the passer. Not every team has a Fred Warner to erase the middle of the field. Like They've got special players as well. So there's elements you can replicate. But it's far more concerning that Brock Purdy went 25-37 for 210 yards with two touchdowns after being the last pick of the NFL draft this season. So um, I, I'm with you. I'm more concerned about that than their offense. I think their offense will be fine. Uh, I I do have some doubts about the Dolphins being able to make a playoff run though. I don't I just don't think they're on the same class as the big 3 in the AFC, the the Bengals, the Chiefs and the Bills. Yeah, I, I before this week I would have said that they were in that class with the Bills and the Bengals. Um but I think after the Bengals beat the Chiefs, you have to kind of bring the Chiefs back to the pack, bring the Bengals up to the pack and I think you kind of have to take the Dolphins out of that pack. Um, they're probably still the number four team in the AFC for me. Uh, and if they get matched up with Tennessee, like they might in the first round of the playoffs, I'll probably like them to win that game. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that they'll beat any of the three teams that you mentioned in the playoff game. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the chiefs at the Bengals. The Bengals win 27 to 24. Cincinnati scored touchdowns on their first two drives to take a 14 to three lead. Uh, but Kansas City battles back. They take a 24-17 lead before Cincinnati scored the final 10 points of the game. A Travis Kelsey fumble at midfield on the third possession of the second half. Uh, the Chiefs had scored the first two possessions of the second half. Kelsey fumbled. They were moving the ball, fumbled at midfield on the third possession, and then the Bengals scored to take the lead. On the very next drive, the Chiefs missed a 55-yard field goal for a tie. Like, in a game of inches between two Titans in the AFC, pun not intended, but I heard it after I said <laughs> it, uh, those two plays stood out to me as the tipping point. They took points off the board for the Chiefs. They gave the Bengals points. Um, on the Bengals' side of things, Samaj P. Ryan continues to fill in admirably for Joe Mixon. He had 106 yards on 21 carries. They got Jamar Chase back. He had 97 yards on seven receptions. Uh, but the biggest thing for me is the Bengals defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo, Big Lou, we'll call him. He he does better against the Chiefs than anybody, really, 
Uh, he's done a good job against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs when they met last year, uh, both in the playoffs and in the regular season. The moment, the very moment that the Bengals are out of the postseason, the Broncos should mm-hmm. be on the phone with him to interview him as head coach. Like he's done so well against Mahomes, he deserves a head coaching job. Get him. You got to play Mahomes twice a year. Just go get the one guy that's been able to slow Mahomes down. It's like you you st- you stole my tweet verbally there, Shane. I might sue you. Two <laughs> nights ago, two nights ago, I tweeted that exact thought out about Denver yeah. needing to hire Anarumo. Um, and I, I was just getting it ready because I saw a stat from Warren Sharp. Um, he said on early downs, Lou Anarumo's Bengals defense held Mahomes to 11 of 18, seven yards per attempt, a minus 0.24 EPA per attempt, 42% success rate, all of which were Mahomes' worst marks since 2019. He was pressured on 42% of dropbacks drop despite being blitzed only once. So, I mean, Lou Anarumo should absolutely get a head coaching job. You said last game you've never seen a, a defensive you know, game plan like you saw with D'Amico Ryans. I think Anarumo's might have been even more impressive. I think what Anarumo's done against Kansas City consistently at this point um, is nothing short of incredible. Uh, Burrow becomes the only quarterback to beat Mahomes three times. Uh, or Actually, I botched that stat. Brady has beaten him three times. But Burrow's three and zero. Brady's three and four against Mahomes. Um, so and Burrow's the only quarterback to beat Mahomes consecutively, and he's done it three times now. But it's really Lou Anarumo who has beaten Mahomes three times, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't wait. I, I think we're going to see these guys. Uh, I think we're going to see them facing off again in the playoffs. I hope so. I guess I don't care. I'd be down with Kansas City Buffalo rematch too. I'm I'm very excited to see how the AFC give, shakes out. Give me Casey and Cincy all day over Buffalo and anyone. I'm I don't know why. I, I just don't enjoy watching Buffalo in the same way that I do. I, and I shouldn't say that. Josh Allen's awesome. Josh Allen makes incredible plays. But I, I just I enjoy watching Casey Cincinnati. Even Miami, you know, Philly, even what, even Dallas, if you remove the heat. I think all of those teams play more aesthetically pleasing football to me than Buffalo does, but I don't know what that is. I can't put my finger on it. <laughs> uh, Matthew on YouTube chimes in and says, D'Amico Ryans will be a head coach in 2023, definitely. Uh, he would have been in 2022 if he didn't turn down the Vikings job. He didn't want the Vikings job. and That's a weird move by him, by the way. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to tie my future to Kirk Cousins either, probably. But That's he can true. afford. He he's he's good. He can afford to wait and pick his spot. I think so. We're gonna we're gonna talk more about this at another time when we're not an hour and eleven minutes into a pod. But I kind of think that the coaching vacancies this year are not all that sexy. They're not going to be sexy whatsoever. It's going to be so unless the Chargers come available or maybe Dallas, but. If it's kind of the teams that it looks like it might be, the Denvers and the Arizonas and the Carolinas and, you know, those types of situations. Tampa Bay. Uh, obviously, <laughs> maybe Tampa Bay. Obviously, Indy is already one of them. None of those situations scream out like instant contender with a new head coach for Sean Payton or anything like that. Yeah. Okay, three games left. Uh, the Chargers at the Raiders, and the Chargers lost this one. Uh, 20 to 27. I don't want to talk about this one much uh, because I, I think both of these teams are irrelevant. But 
Uh, Devontae Adams was not targeted on the first four drives of the game, which went punt, fumble, interception, punt. Then they started feeding Adams, and he had eight receptions for 177 yards and two touchdowns as the Raiders came back from a 10-0 deficit to win. Uh, that's all I care to say about the Raiders for the Chargers. They have Miami and Tennessee left. And then it gets a little easier. They go Indy, uh, the Rams, and Denver. But I would have said the Raiders were going to be an easy game as well. I, I don't think the Chargers, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I just don't think it's going to happen at this point. Yeah, the AFC is going to be really, really interesting to see how it shakes out. Um, I think that this Chargers game against Miami, almost a must win for the Chargers. They have to figure out a way to win this week at home against Miami. Not that they have any sort of home field, but uh, they, the Chargers need to win this game if they want to have any hope to make the playoffs. The Raiders, maybe they have a hope to make the playoffs if they keep playing the way they are right now. Um, Derek Carr seems to have found his mojo a little bit. Yeah. Per per 538, the Chargers currently stand at a 30% chance to make the playoffs. The Raiders at a 16% chance. That sounds about right, yeah. Okay, moving on. Indianapolis at Dallas. Was This was the Malik Hooker revenge game. Uh, he had an interception <laughs> that he returned 26 yards in the first half, uh, and then he had his first career touchdown in the second half on a 38-yard scoop and score off of a fumble. So uh, this was a close game for a while. In the second half, the tweets were flying around about how the you know the Cowboys were struggling with the Colts just like the Eagles did, but it turned into a blowout in the second half, and uh, the Cowboys put up 33 fourth-quarter points. The Colts had more turnovers in this game five then they had third down conversions four and so the colts become the first team uh the only team this season to lose three straight games under two different head coaches so uh, they've got that going for them at least yeah that's that's definitely something to to be proud of there um so for everyone who celebrated the jeff saturday hiring and you know after they won the game and threw it in the face of everyone yeah maybe you shouldn't hire an analyst off tv yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. Okay, uh, let's uh, – do we have to talk about the Monday night game? How about we just end the podcast here? <laughs> Wait, Monday the night, Monday night game's good. The Monday night game was horrific. Uh, New Orleans – good for us, though. Oh, yeah. New Orleans loses 16-17 to 17 to Tampa Bay. Both of these teams, horrendous. Like, Tampa Bay had 196 yards of offense before the final two drives. They were down 16-3. to three. They had a 0.7% win probability. And then they had 91 and 63-yard drives to win the game against just horrible soft defense. Uh, just, man, these teams are both bad. I, I, think, I think whoever doesn't win the NFC East basically gets a bye. Because, anyways, because they're going to be the five seed and they're going to get to take an all-expenses-paid vacation to Tampa for a week and cakewalk past the Buccaneers before they uh, get into the second round. So uh, you still want that bye, but, man, the 5C is going to have one of the easiest games ever in the playoffs this year. Yeah, I want nothing to do with Tom Brady's voodoo magic in the playoffs, even if they do stink. I don't want to go anywhere near that stadium whatsoever, <laughs> um, But especially after last year, even though it's such an entirely different team, obviously. Um, but, yeah. I'm choosing to be positive about this and just look at it from an Eagles-Saints pick outcome 
and this increases the chances that we get Will Anderson. Um, so, you know, just saying that is enough to uh, have that, you know, I was hooting and hollering, cheering for Tom Brady on the television last night. I mean, I, I can't, can count on one or two hands how many times that's happened in his entire career. I can count on one finger how many times that's happened. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'll tell you what, though. I got into it. My, my hate for the Saints and their idiotic fan base and also the, the trade-off of us getting the pick might outweigh uh, my, my feelings towards Tom Brady at this point. Yeah, I, I, was, I was watching just disgusted with the game and hoping that somehow Tampa would pull it out. But uh, it was a wild finish. I guess if you were pulling for the Buccaneers, it was a lot. It was a good, like three minutes. The rest of the game was awful, but there was three minutes that were entertaining. Yeah, Peyton and, e- I, Peyton and Eli were definitely uh, needed to, to cover up a terrible game there. The Manning cast was never more necessary than it was for Buck Saints. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to about do it as we put a bow on week 13. Uh, Mark, before we get out of here, do you have any final thoughts, anything else, any takes you need to fire off, anything you need to get off your chest? No, uh, I, I kind of got my take my, my take that I would throw in here um, that I might be out on this quarterback draft class outside of Bryce Young, uh, but I already talked about that earlier on in, in the show. Um, so I'll just say you can check out the Tough Cover Radio Show. From 11 to 1 on iHeartRadio every week on Fox Sports, PHL The Gambler. All right. Be sure you check out Mark's stuff and give him a follow on Twitter as well. Uh, His his stuff is always great. And thank you uh, for those of you that joined us here live for episode number 83 of Chalk Talk. We appreciate your comments. Uh, Those of you watching later on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, we appreciate you guys too. Uh, If you enjoy what you heard on the show, Make sure you smash that subscribe button. Turn on the notifications so you don't miss our next stream. It'll be next Tuesday night. Uh, Just like always, drop us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That'll help us spread the word about the podcast and get more people involved, uh, more listeners in here live. Makes it a lot more fun uh, for everybody. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at halfandhalf underscore TPL. He is at MarkHenryJr underscore. So for me, for Mark, from the Painted Lines, we will see you guys next time. Thank you.